It's the Esports Connected podcast, where we welcome members of the Esports Trade Association to share their experiences in the world of esports and gaming. I'm your host, Megan Van Petten. Hello from the Esports Trade Association. Megan Van Petten here with Esports Connected, and a big welcome to James O'Hagan. James, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is James O'Hagan. I currently serve as the Director of Digital and Virtual Learning for the Racine Unified School District. I am also the host of the Academy of Esports podcast, which you can get on pretty much every podcasting platform that you want. And I've been doing that for almost three years now. It's hard to believe it's been three years, but uh, it's been a wonderful three years uh, having an almost weekly, though it's been weekly now for about a year now. Um, and also now also getting into doing a Thursday night uh, chat called the hashtag esportsedu chats. Uh, you can find if you search out the hashtag esportsedu, you should be able to find when we're having our chats on Thursday night, but usually they're on Twitch. Uh, we also simulcast it to Twitter uh, until they shut down their video service. And it's me and some other like-minded educators, a diverse group of educators, mind you, from across the country, genders, racial backgrounds, economic backgrounds, where we are talking about the impacts of gaming and gaming culture in our schools. So you're a consultant. Okay. For schools, right? Sure. I can be, yes. Okay. Among right. other things. On the, on the local to national level, what should, what should schools know before getting involved? How can you help? Well, I think that with the problem with with schools getting involved is that they usually think first about the computers and the games, and they really don't think beyond those two things out the gate. They don't realize that this ecosystem, or I, I started calling it an ecoverse recently. It was a slip of the tongue, but I like the sound of it. So I started calling it an yeah. ecoverse because it is incredibly large in that if we really think beyond the games, if we think beyond the computers, if we think about the ways we can engage kids in authentic, in an authentic manner, because school for kids is really inauthentic in a lot of ways. Many kids just feel like they have to be there. They have to take that math class. They have to take that English class, that social studies, whatever. And for a lot of kids, there's a big disconnect, but they're passionate about their gameplay. They're passionate about multimedia production. They're passionate about digital design around things that they like doing. What I always position esports is, is let's take this thing that kids are already loving to do and let's find ways to move the needle that your school is trying to move. So for example, in my own school district in Racine, Wisconsin, one of our ways we are trying to move with our strategic goal is to be a choice district of Southeast Wisconsin. Well, we are offering a program that really nobody else is doing as well as anybody else. That is attracting kids to our schools who may not have decided that they want to stay with us or wanted to get involved in anything in school. So it's it's one of these ways that we can start to think about um, the environment as being more than just the games, more than just the gameplay, but thinking of ways to re the, the five pillars we built our program on is redefine athletic culture. Because athletic culture, by and large, historically has been gender-based. This is a gender-neutral proposal. Um, we think about it, you know, the ableism of some people who physically can't participate in sports in the past. We want kids who, if they need assistive technology tools, to be able to participate with us. So if they need a, 
you know, a special mouse or a special keyboard or a controller, we can supply those things. There's nothing, there's no barriers there that we can't work around technologically. We want to make sure that we're promoting good mental and physical health through our program. So when you're thinking about the mental health side of things, especially right now, as we're coming out of COVID, there's going to be a need for kids to want to connect with others. And so we're using our, our, our positive adult interaction with kids to push against what could be a, a big mental health crisis for a lot of our kids coming out of COVID right now who have felt very socially isolated or been at home, you know, in these, in these times, but also the physical health promotion, talking to them about, Hey, I know you've avoided PE. Many of our kids avoid PE for a long time, but saying, Hey, you know what? Let's uh, introduce the idea of exercise to you because it will make your gameplay better if we do certain exercises. If we talk to you about yoga and, and controlling your heart rate and being able to control your emotions at a peak time or, hey, lifting weights helps train the prefrontal cortex of your brain. It, it helps fire those synapses and help you with problem solving and train those parts of your brain. But we also want to promote those collegiate and college pathways. You know, right now, one of the things that we're doing in the Racine Unified School District is we are um, setting up scrims, practices with colleges. Think about that. We have kids who have practiced with colleges all across the United States, schools that they had never heard about, places they had never considered going are now being introduced to them on, on, a, on a first-time basis. They're, getting, they're saying like, hey, I, I know that this school also plays the same video games that I like. I also want to find out what it's like to maybe go to this school in Georgia or this school in Utah or, or North Dakota, schools that they had never heard of before. And then uh, the final thing is we got to honor the importance of play. Play in schools has been pushed to the side for so long. And yeah. especially us as adults, we love to play. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Teenagers love to play. Little kids love to play. We just need to play as is built into our DNA. It is the way that we socialize. It is the way we experience joy and passion. Sometimes we need to do a better job of honoring that. So the five pillars. Yeah. Those are my five pillars. Yep. And we don't call our kids esports athletes. We call them scholar gamers and we oh, call I them. Like well, we call them. Okay. And here's why esports athlete is very narrow. It is that kid who's just playing the video game, right? But I have kids who don't play video games, who are part of our program. They're gamers, yes. They have an interest in gaming culture. They're students first. and But they're also interested in things like uh, social media production. They're interested in streaming. They're interested in, in IT support. They're interested in coaching. I've got kids who want to coach. They don't want to play the games. They want to coach the games. So rather than just say esports athlete, because for some weird reason, there's a lot of people who push back really hard on that and say, ah, oh, you can't call them athletes, blah, 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 fine, whatever. I choose not to fight that battle. I said, well, I'm going to call them something way cooler and much broader, and that's scholar gamer. So, so why esports? Oh, well, I mean, years ago, I started getting, I started going down this road. I wouldn't call it what I, what I would have said esports because this was 1999, but it started for me with um, a, a computer club at school. And it was a computer club where I'm like, okay, well, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm a brand new teacher, fresh out of college. What, what are we going to do with this thing? And it wasn't like I was looking for, you know, a league for us to join. I wasn't looking for a particular game for us to play. It was like, okay, let's just talk about technology and, and things like that. 
And again, the the driver for it was the game StarCraft. It, it just became that game. And it, it became that game where um, we used it as the vehicle to teach things like networking. We had a, a, the school had just gone through a series of computer updates the year before. So they had all these 486 computers lying around, which are perfect games or computers for StarCraft, actually. And so we took apart a whole bunch of them, put them all back together with more, you know, we, we would take the RAM out of one and put it into another and talk about what memory is and talk about the importance of memory. And, oh, we're, we don't have uh, CD-ROM drives. We got to get CD-ROM drives. So let's go find the right one that we need, because at this time there was all different kinds of formats and everything else. So we had to get the right kind for us. Um, and again, finding these kids who just hung out, but weren't even interested in playing the game. They just wanted to like, oh, well, let's look at the technology side of things, or let's just have a fun place where there's games being played and kids are having fun. These were all mostly fifth and sixth graders, by the way. And that really stuck with me, that feeling of community, because that's what it came down to in all this. I think that's what a lot of people miss in this whole esports thing is just how wonderful the community has become through all this. It, you know, again, it doesn't come down to what league you join or what games you buy or anything. It comes down to how are these kids who, especially right now, are very socially isolated, um, are still connecting with each other, who are still supporting each other. Our Discord server that we have in our school district, we have all five of our high schools together in one Discord server. And, and I have every kid tagged with uh, what school they're a part of. They're color-coded. Based on their role, they get a color for their school. And it's amazing to see just how these kids have supported each other, not just with their gameplay, but helping each other through school, helping each other with their loneliness, on, you know, having fun with their successes, supporting each other. But also, I think it's been really important to see, too, how they've also shared their artwork share their home experience, you know, taking pictures of, of them being at home at school and, you know, sharing this experience, which again, for many kids has been very socially isolating. Um, for me, esports has really been this amazing community experience that um, is the thing that I love the most about it. If anybody said, what, what are you getting out of this? I see kids thrive as part of this program. And that's, that for me is why esports. It's just seeing this amazing joy that kids all of a sudden just realize that, yeah, their, their thing that they've been told for a lot of them have been told is a waste of time. There's adults who think their thing is pretty cool and, and they thrive on that idea even of just how cool it is that there's this adult who really likes what they're doing and may not get all their games. We got 12 other adults other than myself who are a part of this and we just you know, it, it sometimes it takes that one adult to just believe in a kid for them to just make a world of change. It's so it's so fascinating. You know, I don't I don't seem to be an expert in this area at all. I don't have children, but isn't it interesting that when we didn't know better, and we were saying, I say we just very loosely, the kids in the basement by himself playing, no. He was actually connecting, or she, hmm. with people, finding just the opposite of what, quote unquote, we thought they were doing. What's also really important to, because to, that point is right, especially in the last 10 years. But you have to think, too, for those kids, and this is why it's so important for schools to be a part of this. 
some of those kids, yes, we're making really positive connections online. And there's a really good study that was done by the Anti-Defamation League around the current state of culture within gameplay. And while there's a lot of, I think it said 88% of people playing games that they surveyed had positive experiences online, about three quarters of people said at the same time, they also had negative experiences online. And for a lot of our kids, especially girls, kids of color, those who who don't identify as, uh, you know, their their birth gender or, or, you know, they have different orientations. A lot of those kids were either surviving in these spaces because they wanted to play and it was their game and it was their passion, but they weren't necessarily having a positive experience around it. But also they were thinking that that was the way you had to be. It was Lord of the Flies, as I, I tell people, it was this Lord of the Flies experience where it was like survival of the fittest. And you had to go in with your armor on and your, you know, your weapons drawn in order to just play a game in some cases. And with schools now, what we've done is we've said, let's build this walled garden. Let's build this really positive experience around this for kids. Let's again, give them a positive place to play. We're going to teach them, you know, rather than have for them to feel alone in this space or feel, you know, like they have a small group, let them know that the group that they have, the community they have around it is so much bigger, broader, stronger, and is the place where they can get support. Um, and again, find those safe places to play where they maybe didn't have them before. So I get, I get really irritated sometimes um, with some developers, game developers, who I understandably want to control their intellectual property, but at the same time will say, will dictate to a school or dictate to a, through their terms of service, you can't run a tournament. You can't run a league. You can't run a thing unless you get the approval from us. And, you know, again, I'm using this as an educational tool. Right. I'm not, you know, it's like you telling me I can't use this movie as a teaching thing. I use video games to teach right. and, and because I want to run a tournament, you tell me I can't do that. I, I, there's something, there has to be like a, a middle of the road. There has to be a pathway. I feel uh, for educators and gaming companies to work together. And I'm not saying all are like this, but there's a good por portion, especially the AAA rated companies who want to really, and again, I understand why, Sure. but there needs to be an opportunity for us to have dialogue to bring educators into this space because we will be the biggest champions mm -hmm. of your company and your game titles if we are invited to the table. And we will find right. ways to use your games in ways I, I we've never seen before. My good friend, Steve Isaacs, just started as the educational head for Epic Games. And you're right. thinking, how do we use Fortnite as, as, a, as a teaching tool? Oh, the Fortnite creative mode has been a fantastic teaching tool. It really has. And I get, I'm so glad that Mr. Steve Isaacs gets to uh, lead that effort now at Epic Games. And they've been really good about inviting educators to the table. Isn't that great? Isn't that? I was just going to ask you what's next. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, again, I think what's next is, you know, I think people look out and they see this this landscape and just say, well, there's already play versus out there, or HSEL out there or or whatever. And really what I see is that we are still so at the beginning of, any, of everything. And I think everybody's looking for the one way to do this. And mm -hmm. it's, it's taking a long time for people to realize that there is no one way to do this. That's the beauty of this. And, you know, again, if, if you're a company who's thinking about working with schools, 
it's number one, finding out what the school really needs. They don't just need, again, the computers of the games. They need to understand how this is going to make a big impact on their teaching and learning of their kids. And you have to understand that coming into this space, schools work very differently than private companies. We almost have a, a morality clause built into everything that we do. So you can't just come at us and say, hey, here's Dr. Disrespect. He wants to partner with your school. Thank you, but no thank you. That's not happening, okay? We don't work on like this, this dot-com startup mindset. Our budgets are very, again, set a year in advance. So if you're interested in us coming in and, and, and pitching the idea to esports to us, that's fine. But realize our timeline is looking more like a six to nine month, uh, we need six to nine months of head start time before we can even uh, get in. So for a lot of for a lot of people, we just need to realize that this, um, you know, there, there's there's people coming into this space who we want to work with and we understand the positive intentions, but you just have to under, understand schools work very differently. But we are we are very excited to be about part of this. And again, to do it in different ways, it doesn't have to be one league or one way. Everything could be done in-house if we had to. You know, if you if you find that there's a school who's just like, no, we don't want our kids playing with other kids outside of the building, totally understandable. Or like in a community where I used to work in uh, Forreston, Illinois, which is Southwest of Rockford, little farm town. They don't have, they, at the time when I was there, they didn't have the internet capacity to play any games without it, you know, pinging out. But if they did it internally in the building, could totally do it. So even if you're thinking of these rural areas, how do we do it? It could be done in rural areas. You just have to decide that, hey, we're not a pipeline to the pros. We have very different goals with what we want to do. And we can still give kids a fun, educational, supportive experience without necessarily, with jerseys and everything, without having to necessarily participate in, quote unquote, a the league or a league. Yeah, you've done an incredible amount in the space. I, I read that you love fan play that i love what fa fa was it fan play like fan yeah you you put something in um your notes about it, jerseys or fan art it was fan art oh yeah oh yes um our all our jerseys that we had this year so we worked with a company called zero gen which is down in they're near st louis but they're in illinois um and our our scholar gamers were part of the design process this year so it was oh. so it wasn't just us saying hey you know here we're gonna let you here's the jersey and it's got the high school name on it and that's it no no i said look i have ideas of what this is but you all are much more creative than i am and because again i've seen some of these kids develop their art talent over the years through a discord server it's amazing to see what they were able to come up with and design and work with a designer at the company as well to say, this is what we want to do. And the, that back and forth, they're getting that entrepreneurial business experience. As the thing is, I didn't have to say to them, Hey, who wants a business entrepreneurial experience? No, no. I said, who wants to design our esports jerseys? And the kid, there were kids from every team who wanted to be a part of it. And they had, had their different ideas and they shared those ideas. And yeah, it's, it's, it's taking that, I'm not even going to call it, you know, chocolate covered broccoli or, you know, the pill wrapped in bacon, you know, for the dog. It's like, no, no. I said, who wants to design the esports series? And they got that business experience. And I didn't even tell them they got the business experience. Right. Doing those kind of things. So the, um, the greatest leaders I'm seeing in the space and they're of all ages are leaders bringing people together almost with a blank canvas and creating together. And I've never seen that 
as much as I have in this space. I think you're right. It, even, um, you know, because you're part of this effort that we're trying to do in Milwaukee, the uh, Milwaukee Esports Alliance, which again, we know Milwaukee has a lot to offer the world. And a lot of people may think like, oh, Milwaukee is that suburb of Chicago up north. You know, that, oh, what does Milwaukee have? They don't even have a million people. But what we do have is uh, relatively close to O'Hare Airport, amazing summer fest grounds, uh, a brand new basketball arena that was that could very easily be a high stakes, you know, esports arena space, uh, top of the line internet connectivity, beautiful lakefront, and again, th- there's it's a city where esports could, excuse me, could dominate the culture. Um, you know, as companies are thinking about where do I go to do a startup? Well, we're not far from Madison. You know, we've got the Mil- uh, Milwaukee Institute. Uh, MSOE, which is the Milwaukee School of Engineering, right downtown. Marquette University is right there as well, too. There's all these great things right there. And it's and, and Milwaukee's a small enough stage, but a big enough spot in the world to garner this amazing, uh, could be an amazing hub. But again, we're building the Milwaukee Esports Alliance first around the people that we have here. And saying, hey, here's all this great talent. Let's connect it all together and find where it all fits. And we're not just talking geeks. We're talking, you know, food companies. We're talking gaming companies. We're talking people who are just really interested in the space, uh, who really want to be a part of it. So it doesn't have to be these high tech company things. Again, the ecoverse is huge here. So, yeah, we're just we're finding all these great ways to connect together in ways that are meaningful for us in Milwaukee. Yeah, I like that. It it really it it's been really great. Um, just for me in 20 plus years working in community and working in over, over 20 industries, actually um, this industry, the industry of esports, I'll say of um, community. I say this all the time. Everyone I talk to says, how can I help? And, and if they don't first, I do. And that it's just, what a, what a way, what a way to do business. What a, it's so simple. And here we are in, in one of the fastest growing industries, helping each other at one of the hardest times in our living history mm-hmm. and making such a difference. I would have, when, when, I, when we started this journey in 2014 or I don't even remember anymore. It's been a while. Um, it was never to to be part of a multi-billion dollar industry. It just wasn't. It was, look, here's some kids who just want to do something really fun. Let's just do it. And can we do it? And looking around the room and finding the right people and saying, yeah, I guess we can do this. Let's do it. Let's see where it goes. And here's the great thing too. You know, when, when you and I were young, video games were seen as Younger. an evil. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. Younger. When we were younger, video games did weren't socially acceptable in a lot of places. You know, it's like almost the movie Footloose could have been rewritten in the eighties. And instead of dancing, it could have been video game play because it was, it was very taboo in a lot of areas. It was seen as in some areas seen as gambling of, a, of some sort or another. It was seen as um, again, as the, as the thing that's going to, keep kids, you know, it's the thing that's making kids fat. Oh, it's the thing that's making kids commit suicide. It's the, all these awful things. 
And really what we were doing, we were doing something that was fun, meaningful for us. And we've grown up with it. And now our kids are loving this and having fun with it too. And there's a lot less people looking around going, what is this thing? And, and more along the lines of saying, hey, I know you love that game. I want to show you this game that I liked when I was a kid. Kind of like you know, trading music now. It, it was such a kick for me to see recently. Uh, for example, my middle child has gotten into the Cure and Depeche Mode and you know, the Smiths and all this. And I'm like, oh, you're getting into my stuff now and being able to trade albums with her. And it's kind of the same way with video games. We speak a common language with kids now. When you say Pac-Man or you say Mario or you say Zelda or you say Sonic, kids know these things. They may not play them, but that's become their mythology. This is this is just like mythology. It's stories that are passed down. It is, you know, it's it's funny to see how memes or or YouTube plays up some of these things that we just thought was just dumb fun when we were kids and now they're they're bringing it around and it's just dumb fun for them too i mean it's so great it's so much it's such a connector between generations and and what i'm liking too is this idea of you know as i get older and i know and 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 i get ready for retirement years down the road i can't retire for a long time yeah decades I can't wait for the day. I, I jokingly say to my kids when I can listen to uh, Dr. Dre's album, The Chronic in the old folks home while playing video games, you know, and just hanging out with my friends, you know, and, and, and they're like, oh, what are you going to do? Just listen to old records. Yeah, I'll listen to the old records, but I'll be playing video games and still, you know, cutting up with people. So it, it's there's going to be a lot of generational connections that I think we've never seen before coming up in the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. I I'm surprised how cool retro is in the space that has been delightful. My son and I put together a, a MAME emulator. Okay. So MAME a lot is a, is a, is a emulator that sits on a computer that makes a computer think it is a different computer. Okay. So in this case, it thinks it's an arcade system from the 80s. And we sat for an entire afternoon and played through uh, a great video game title from the early 90s called The Simpsons. So it was a four-person arcade game. And uh, if you wanted to play through it, it was going to cost you probably about $30 in quarters just because it was terrible. they, they, They ran you through quarters. But we were able to play it basically free of charge because, you know, you keep hitting the one up button and um, we shared that experience for the day. And again, we, we finished the whole thing. Did we, you know, did it matter that we had to spend what would have been 30 quarters, $30 worth of quarters each? No, but it was fun. And just the fact that we had that moment of here's something shared between the two of us that now we get to talk about forever between the two of us, that becomes one of those moments. And it was through gameplay. And it wasn't me standing over him saying, hey, you're going to play this game with me. It was, you know, it's, it's just as simple. And I think this is where parents struggle is how do I start talking to my kids about video game play? It could be as simple as you sitting down next to them and watching what they're playing. Just don't, you don't have to say anything to them because a lot of teenagers don't want to hear anything from their parents. But just being able to sit with them and talk to them and ask them questions about what it is that they're interested in. And again, right now, if it's video games, asking them about, tell me about that game you're playing. Most of the time, kids will love to tell you about it. 
Now, there's some who may not, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be not interested. But sit, listen, watch how they're playing. I think you'd be really surprised to find out just how much uh, similarities there are than differences between adults and kids and generations, at least when it comes to video game play. Yeah, just like um, the, I, I love this, the basic of being, it's a language of love. It's called quality time mm-hmm. and respecting what the other person enjoys doing in time and making quality out of it. It's so simple. And, and I asked this question, I, I have a, a great therapist who I go to. And I, I have no problems with saying that. He's amazing. Uh, I should have gone to a therapist for a long time before. Uh, but I asked Andy about that. And I said, what is what is quality time? Like, how much should I be spending with my kids? And, and his response was, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's 20 minutes a day. And I'm like, really? That's He's like, that's, that, that's statistically speaking, research says about 20 minutes a day with a kid. It, quality time is what you need to, 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 and more than that, you're not getting any extra return. Now I'm not saying go only spend 20 minutes with your kids. If you like spending more than 20 minutes with your kids, I'm not an expert to say, you know, you should only do that, but it, that is at the minimum. And, you know, for, again, for some of us, we can find 20 minutes, we can find 20 minutes to sit down with our kids and just take in what it is that they're interested in, take in ask them questions about it. Um, don't be annoying about it, but just try to learn and get into their world and just see what it's like. And again, those 20 minutes can make a world of difference. And, 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 you know, again, you're coming in not to belittle, you're not coming into, into to say what a waste of time this is because it's so hurtful for a child to hear from an adult, especially someone who they love and trust that something could potentially be a waste of time. Imagine being told Megan, the thing that you love to do, whatever it is, is a waste of time, whether drawing or dance or music or playing basketball or any of these things. We never tell kids those things are a waste of time. And yet it's very easy for some people to say, well, that video games, that's a waste of time. I, I, I can't, you know, that's very damaging for a kid. So it's very hard. It's very, it's, it, if you're a parent who sometimes slips into saying those things, and I don't think people who are going to be listening to this necessarily would, but we need to be very careful about how we approach kids in this space to, because it's, again, the words that we carry can be very powerful. Words are very powerful. And um, I think that that's outstanding that you mentioned um, quality time, quality words, 20 minutes, you know, to share. Yeah, that's, my, that's what my therapist says. Now your therapist, uh, if you, if you're listening to this and you have your own therapist who says, Oh, I got to spend six hours with my kids a day. I don't know, but mine tells me 20. And uh, in fact, my kids and I have made a joke about it. They'll look at me and go, you've spent more than 20 minutes with us. I'm like, Oh, so you're politely telling me you want your space now. Yes. We're teenagers. We would like our space now. Okay. All right. So yeah, respecting um, that as well too. And, and that's important. It's important. Um, the other couple of weeks ago, we used to have a wind down Wednesdays at our office when we had our office and we'd ask everybody what they were going to be doing. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had a virtual wind down Wednesday. And um, one gal uh, that works here with us said, um, you know, what are you going to do this weekend? She said, I'm just going to invite some friends over. 
to play some games just to hang with each other mm. quietly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I thought that was just so interesting um, that she mentioned the word quietly. Well, you know, there's, I think the, uh, as we're coming out of COVID, there's going to be this rush for a lot of people to have big soirees, big parties, you know, big mass gatherings and get togethers, which boy, I can't wait for that day when we can in some regards, but there's also going to be those, those moments where, you know what, I want to have an intimate moment with my friend who I haven't been able to hang out with on my terms in forever. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's going to be these amazing intimate moments that we're going to have with our friends and family that, that we've missed out on. And, and I look forward uh, to those, those, as you said, those quiet moments as well too, because those uh, are definitely just as missed as the big raucous parties, the baseball games, all those things. Yeah. And the last piece I wanted to touch upon that you mentioned was mm-hmm. imagine your parents saying, Oh, she's doing that again. Mm-hmm. For me, um, I was very much into pleasing my parents. So I actually just didn't do, I avoided what was shunned. Mm-hmm. So that um, that would be very difficult. I don't know that that was the case. I mean, we had Atari. My first video game was Pong. I had all brothers. I mean, I played Dungeons and Dragons, Chuck, but I, otherwise I wouldn't be playing. I, I didn't have a choice. I had brothers and it was three of them. And so I played their games, um, but it wasn't shunned. We didn't, you know, it wasn't, you should be outside instead of inside. Um, it was just different. And I don't know, I don't know why, but I don't recall being admonished for the choices I made for the fun that I was having. It It's good. I think that you were so readily accepted by your brothers. My mother was very much the same way. She was the lefty of her three brothers. Mm-hmm. So there's her three brothers and her, and she was the lefty. So she got to play first base because guess what? We need, we need you to come play with us and you're the lefty. So you get to be the first baseman. Um, you know, it, I've spoken with a number of seventh and eighth grade girls did a very unscientific study about their favorite games. The ones that I talked to, can you guess what their favorite game is? Seventh and eighth grade girls. By and large, I mean, it was like a runaway. I was stunned and floored as to what their favorite game was. Any guess? Boy, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I loved chess. Oh, I'm talking about video games. Oh, today. got it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, mine is Miss Pac-Man. So, well, for our, I love that game too. But for our seventh and eighth grade girls that we have now, their number one game was Call of Duty, and their number two game was NBA 2K. And very similar to your response as to why, you know, it, it was because they're, they've got brothers who play these games. Mm. But what I think is starting to happen now, and we're starting to see this again, is games become more gender neutral, right? The, the, the market is becoming very gender neutral because while, while uh, 93% of boys, according to Pew Research, or 97% of boys, according to Pew Research, are playing video games. 83% of girls are too. And I think that's the part that gets missed in all of this. So I think 
the fact that you weren't just told to sit on the sidelines and watch your brothers play, but you were, you did play, I think speaks volumes to just how forward thinking you and your family were about it. But again, for a lot of kids, that's not the story that they hear, right. you know? Oh, you don't need to, you don't want to play that video game. You, you should go play with dolls. You know, again, the very gender specific roles around things and video games are seen as very gender specific in some families. But again, I think that there's movements that are being made, but there's still work that needs to happen. We still need, you know, these events and things that are like, Hey, this, this, this tournament's for girls. Hey, this tournament is for uh, kids who don't identify as their gender. Hey, this, there, th- this, this one over here is for kids of color. Hey, we're going to play this game instead of this game. There still needs to be those opportunities because for a lot of kids, I think they've been felt marginalized in these spaces. They've been felt like it isn't for them. And we have to put together these experiences for these kids, especially the shows. No, no, this is for everybody. Everybody gets to play because again, what's my fifth pillar, the importance of play. And that doesn't matter what age you are or who you are or human beings play is is so important for us it is the job of childhood according to mr rogers and mr rogers was right he was really a great mentor for all of us well it's funny i somebody said something about you know name an educational pedagogist who we need to you know as we go back into schools now who we need to think of more and I wrote something in response to that. It was like, well, he's not exactly an educational pedagogist, but I think Mr. Rogers and, and how his, his feelings on play. And a lot of teachers wrote back, oh, no, he is an educational pedagogist. Pe- yeah. He's, an, he's a yeah person who speaks about educational things. And, and, and I just think because we saw him on TV, he's not like a Piaget or, a, you know, a, a no, there's a whole bunch of them. I can't remember any of them right now. So, I, I swear I, I almost him. have my dissert. I swear my dissertation's almost done. I swear I'll be a doctor, PhD in educational technology, and I can't get beyond Piaget at this moment. I feel I feel terrible. You know, um, I, I sometimes forget about Seymour that. Packard, I, there's another one. Here. When am I gonna call you Dr. James? Um uh, I've been working on my dissertation for a long time, but you know, things come up, you know, if I had been focused on finishing my dissertation, I don't think I would have gone down this road in esports, to be honest, and then found where my real passion was, because my original dissertation work was around uh, what is key to the development of, of the most effective digital learning spaces, which that research would probably do really well right now and has served me well in this time, especially um, as we've gone down the COVID route. But I wasn't passionate about that. And finding this again, I don't care. I would love this to be my full-time job, right? But it's never to be the multimillionaire. It is never to be um, uh, the person who is is sought after uh, for this. It's just, I love, again, the development of community. I love seeing kids uh, ultimately just having these great experiences growing as a, into adults and it needs to happen. I mean, we in education have done such a poor job pre- preparing kids in the last 20 years to live in these digital spaces. We wonder why some of these online spaces are so toxic or so hurtful. Um, because again, for the longest time, we as educators said, nope, we're going to ignore that. 
that online space, we don't do that. So we're just going to let, that's just for kids. We'll let them handle it. And what it, again, I, I said it earlier, they had these Lord of the flies upbringings, the survival of the fittest who can say the snarkiest thing and, and shut another person down and be mean about it. It is like being on a playground with no supervision. And so again, it's, it, it's, I just love, I just am passionate about this. I love it. You are. It's really been an honor to have you on the show. I mean, your passion just comes out in the work you do. And it's so, um, I'm so happy that you're a member of the Esports Trade Association. And I'm happy to be one. Oh, yeah. I mean, we are, we are so glad to have you and serving on the education committee. So, you know, we have quite a year ahead of us. And um, I just want to thank you for your time and all that you do and have done for the space that we're in. Um, it's such a critical time. You really are a man of service. And um, I, I, I appreciate you. And so does the community. I've heard from your random students. I've heard from <laughs> mothers of your students, um, you know, in business, you know, your colleagues. I mean, just, just, boy, I had a, my banker the other day talk to you about. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, just, there's been so many people that you help and that ripple effect is, is very large and you're very humble for all you do, though you do dress up in a fancy jacket and have some nice microphone, your, your, your effect on our, what do you call it? The eco Ecoverse on our ecoverse is is quite grand. Well, you know, part of that too is again, um, and one of a, one of my I, I just completed the hundredth episode, or we just released the hundred. I just released the hundredth episode of the Academy of Esports podcast. So that's been going on for almost three years now. Yeah. And when I started it, it was I wasn't sure if it would be a weekly thing or what, but we just. Just have now gone for almost a straight year with an episode every week, and again, it's 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 if if nobody else takes you if you don't take yourself seriously, nobody else will. So I I decided that this podcast was going to be uh, something where we're doing it on a professional level. Though the first episodes I did, I think I was wearing a baseball hat and a, a hoodie. And I had a camera sitting right here on my face and it looked like a hostage negotiation. Like I, I just, I looked scared in the camera, but really it started to, again, as I started to just, it became my way of not just, cause I did a lot of episodes solo where I just get up and talk um, and not really even sure what I was going to say. But as I started to bring on guests and bring people into the space um, and, and hear their stories um, it's for some people, it's really personal to share a lot of their experiences. So again, as, as the host, I need to honor that as well too, and try to give them the best experience that they can possibly have in all of this as well too. And as I was telling you before we started, it's all one take. And I sometimes have questions prepared and sometimes I don't. And sometimes we just go and we just see where the conversation takes us. And that I think those are some of the most fun conversations. And I don't ever look to make dollar one. I haven't made dollar one off of doing the podcast. I don't actively seek out, you know, sponsors or anything like that because I really just want to be able to do my own thing. And this is just as much for me. And if nobody listened, 
I'd be fine with that too, because I enjoy doing it. So that's and fine it really shows. Congratulations. I mean, it, it really does. And you really are uh, ahead of your time. And it's been an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. Mr. James O'Hagan, soon to be Dr. O'Hagan. Did I say Eventually. your name right? Yes. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. So what is your dissertation about? Well, the dissertation is still in work, obviously, but uh, it's related around this thing called self-determination theory. And self-determination theory really builds around three things that we think about with when we're talking about an education, uh, feelings of autonomy, feelings of competency, and things of relatedness. And your intrinsic motivation to do things, again, I talk a lot about the intrinsic motivations that kids have towards video game play, right? The, the intrinsic motivation around video games, again, is because they, they feel autonomous. It's something that they are able to do. They feel competent. Again, it is, it is something that they're able to do without, you know, they, they can teach themselves how to do it. And the relatedness piece in there is really around the social networks, around the community that is built around a lot of these games. So looking at how, again, if we build programming around esports, does esports have a direct relation, just the involvement, have a direct relation to the intrinsic motivations that kids may have around everything else that they have going on in school? Or is it going to be still school is this extrinsic motivation, this thing that they feel that they have to do and they have to do it because of this reason or this reason or this reason. And extrinsic motivations are very dangerous. This is also a secondary part of this uh, um, study is that, you know, as we start to bring esports into schools and we start to make it formal part of program, we have to realize that when you start incentivizing things, because I hear people toss gamification out all the time and I go, okay, you don't know what gamification is. You don't know what you're talking about. It's very easy to toss that term out there because it sounds inane, but really it can be a very um, misused tool because as kids are already intrinsically motivated to do things, if you gamify something that they already love to do, you could shift their internal passion for something to an extrinsic motivation and eventually they could end up hating what it is that you think that you're doing to really help. I'll give you a good example, one that many of us know about. Uh, kids, there are some kids who will read a million books. They don't care what the book title is. They don't care about anything. They'll just read books, read books, read books. Libraries will typically run a summer reading program. You read so many books this summer and we will give you a prize. What happens is, is a lot of kids who are already voracious readers will join that summer reading program and they will read that number of books, whatever it is to get to the prize and they will stop. And again, it's that subtle shift of it taking that intrinsic motivation, that thing that they love and shifting it over to the extrinsic side of things. And it, it, while it is a, a, a spectrum, there is real danger in doing that because sometimes you cannot pull a kid back. So as again, we are starting to explore these, again, the intrinsic motivation around gaming and incorporating it into schools. And because I'm a 20 year educator and I've seen this plenty of times, there's plenty of times that schools have taken the passions and the things that kids love to do and just beat them to death with it. And unfortunately it creates these very uh, awful dynamics and ruins the joy and passion that a lot of kids have. So we have to be, I, I am. I look at this as like a Fabergé egg. Everything in esports right now is so beautiful, and I just want to show people this beautiful thing, right? 
But then there's people who will take it and go, I'm going to apply it to everything. And then all of a sudden it just becomes this misuse. So it, it's, it becomes misused and it's, it's just, I want this delicate, beautiful thing to show people. And it is delicate. You know, we seem to think that esports is going to fit into schools beautifully, but there are a lot of educators and a lot of people with positions of power who do not feel the same way. Right. So when we bring esports into schools, we also have to be really mindful of the research and a lot of the stereotypes and the prejudices that already exist. And so again, my research into this hopefully sheds light into just how powerful this intrinsic, intrinsically motivating tool, this opportunity can be for our kids. I see a, a book and a TED talk in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. The, the future Dr. O'Hagan. Yes. Thank you for listening. The Esports Connected Podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. If you love what you hear, please be sure to subscribe or follow and leave us a review. 